the church, how important it is for us and to Jesus today in the weekly Kingdom Outlook. Let's get going. Greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here with you and for another installment of Weekly Kingdom Outlook. I want to talk about the church today and its importance for us uh, and how we conduct ourselves, the importance it is to Christ. And what are some of the challenges with having such relationships within his body and how we handle these things? Um, uh, this is something that, you know, I think in the beginning of my walk with the Lord, I was... Um, more naive. I came from a broken home. So as you understand, my parents split when I was 16. It devastated our family. It it, it really devastated me for a good five, six years um, until I came to Christ, actually really until I came to meet my wife. And then that helped stabilize me. And then I found Jesus and her parents and all that and found this healthy family. So I didn't grow up in a healthy family. And I want you to understand that so you don't think, oh, well, you had had it easy. Now, some of you have had it a lot worse than me. Some of you have had horrible things happen to you. So I don't want to make light of those things. But regardless, the way the scripture unfolds is that the church is and was always on God's heart. And I have a book in here called The Eternal Church by a Bishop Hammond. It was his doctrinal thesis for uh, his doctorate's degree. And he called it the eternal church. Like church was always God's design. Like everything leading up to the church was just a type and a shadow to what was to come. The church, the ecclesia is what the scripture actually calls the church is the ecclesia. And uh, what is that? Well, that's the body of Christ. Now, there's another great book on the ecclesia. And if I can find it, um, maybe I'll post a link to it in here. We'll see. Um, uh, but I want you to... Um, I want you to get this. Like, I want you to try to um, comprehend why this is so uh, important um, for us, for, for you and I. Because I don't think, sometimes I think that people do not value the church enough. And when you find things wrong in the church and you feel like the need to be critical of the church, um, you have to be very careful because when you're critical of the church, you're critical of Jesus's wife. Now, I want you to understand that. So you can have that grip on that a little bit, okay? So um, you have to be careful in how you speak about, like you'd have to be careful how you speak about my wife, who I love very much. And if you're critical of her falsely, wrongly, um, and you haven't actually addressed it with her, we're going to have an issue. Um and so, you know, that's, I mean, I, this is the way I really caution because when I became a prophet or started walking towards becoming a prophet, I realized the church wasn't perfect. And that was a shock to me. You know, the shock was, man, God, how can your church not be perfect? How can it not have holiness and wonder? And why is there all this division and this, this conflict? And then I realized, yeah, you know, I always say this, the church was a beautiful concept until God put people in it. But in reality, people are the church. And so, yes, I know church is not a building, but let's just stop with the semantics because we know there is a church that meets in that building. We might call that church by its name. So, let you know, 
yeah, you know, yeah. It's like we, we're, we're having these like tit for tat arguments that really don't produce faith. They don't produce the kingdom. They just produce, uh, you know, uh, divisions. And Paul warns against those people who want to have these, you know, minor, you know, like arguments and just for the sake of having arguments. I know what you mean. We are the church. I get that. Uh, the church is not a building. And I don't I don't think anyone really believes the church is a building. Like no one goes, oh, yes. Oh, great, mighty building. I don't think anyone's doing that. Um, so I, I think we need to back off from some of those statements. Like you might have a revelation that the church is the people, but which is true. And um, but do you have the revelation that the people are literally the church in whole is greater than the individual? So this is why you have to protect the church from certain things coming into the church that will actually corrupt the church, like sexual immorality is one of them. All right. So the revelation of this begins, uh, you know, really, we'll just start with Peter. Um, Jesus is warning him about some stuff. And then when he, it says, when they came into the region, this is uh, Matthew 16, 13. When they came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? The son of man. And who do they say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah's, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Great statement. We all know it, right? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, on what truth is he going to build his church upon? The revelation that Jesus is the Christ. That's the revelation. He's not building it upon Peter like Catholicism believes. He's not doing that. He's not building it upon that. He's building upon kingdom revelation that the Son of Man is the Messiah, the Christ. Now, that Son of Man is not a term attributed to man. The Son of Man comes from Daniel when it says uh, the Son of Man came unto the Ancient of Days. It's That's why Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man. Saying you're, you know, son of God is nothing new. It actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And so people think that when Jesus, they go, well, Jesus never said he was God. He did when he said he was a son of man, not when he said he was a son of God. And that's where people don't understand the scriptures, don't understand the Hebrew text. And Daniel is the only begotten of God. He's the one, only one. It says in Revelation, we have the same imagery. There's a scroll in the hand, but there was no one found worthy except for the Son of Man who comes up and takes the scroll from his hand. Okay? And begins to open the scrolls. All right. So really important for us to understand that right here. Okay? He says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, and the keys, remember, there's, I want, I'm not going to deal with the keys of the kingdom right now, but I want to say this to you. There's many, many keys to the kingdom, and every key opens a door in the kingdom, opens a revelation, opens a promise. So I want you to understand that you could go through it. Uh, I'll just give you a real quick example. Uh, my God shall supply all your needs 
according to his riches and glory. That is not that does not function for everybody. It functions for those who sow into the kingdom. Paul says that I'm not, you know, that you've given to me and you've communicated this love for me, which is honoring, which is an honorarium, which is honoring those who teach the word. Paul teaches that in Galatians 6 6. The key is when you sow to ministers. Who are, who are God's using to do the work of the kingdom, that it opens up for you for the supply and resources to come back to you. As you sow, you reap. This is a key to the kingdom. He explains this, if you look into 2 Corinthians 8, he's trying to get the Corinthian church to operate in this key, because up to this point, this grace, this key, okay, or grace is not operating in them yet. So read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and you'll see that Paul's explaining this to him. He wants the same promise that he was able to give to the Philippian church by the Spirit when he's writing out the letter to Philippians. He wants that to operate in the Corinthian church as well. He wants them to walk in this abundance. Okay? Um, so you have to understand that there's many, many, many keys. And so I want you to know that because as we go through this, I want us to see that thing. Now, what is the church? Well, it's the ecclesia or the government of God. And, and it's, but it says this in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. So now we have another imagery. And that imagery is that he is the head, Jesus, of a body called the church. So we are connected, and he is the head. Apostles are not the head. By the way, I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but I want you to understand apostles are not the head of the church. And we're going to talk about that because he also constructs it as a building. He talks about it. A house. These are all imagery given to us to, to uh, give us revelation of him and his church. Okay, the Bible, the Bible actually declares, Scripture actually declares that him who is uh, joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Okay, so these are all imagery. This is in 1 Corinthians 6, and Paul starts dealing with, um, he's dealing with sexual morality and all this. It says you have to understand that when you go out and commit sexual immorality, you're committing it against the body because you're joined to the body. And then whatever you do is is affecting, you're going to affect the body. Okay? And so a lot of Christians don't understand this, that your sin that you commit is not just um, sin that affects you. It can affect the body. So if I have a, let's just say, um, by the way, I've had homosexuals in my church. I've had transgenders who thought they were transgendering, and we love them. Understand this, but what we don't allow is the the practice of such sins in the church. So, in other words, someone might be struggling with homosexuality, and we will love them because we hope that in the church, by being there, they will feel the love of God. However, what we don't do is allow the influence of that. Now, if they are practicing homosexual and they bring in their their you know uh, homosexual lover, and we don't allow that. And you go, why? Because sexual immorality will actually spread through a church quicker than you matter. Because there are, especially amongst youth, when they're learning how to control their sexuality, control their sexual appetite, and if you sit there and don't put your foot down, then others look and go, why, why am I restraining myself so harshly when it looks like you can be on a platform and you could still do these things? 
And that's just wrong. Okay. You can't have that. Sexual immorality is one of the big ones. It's like one of the biggest ones. Okay. The only one that's worse would be false gods. But you have to understand sexual morality is idolatry and worship of creation. So that's where it's rooted in. All right. So I'm not going to get into that today. All right. But I want you to see that. Uh, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which was Christ. Then all things he may have the preeminence. He is above all. He is the head of all things. Okay. There's many scriptures that talk about that. And I, I want you to understand that. So maybe you're just got saved. You don't understand the church. Why do I need to be in the church? Well, let's 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 look at our scripture. Hebrews 10:23 through 10:25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What's the importance of gathering together? Well, number one, we're assembling. And I'm going to get into a scripture that explains that in a little bit. But we're to, we're to be together uh, not every single moment of the day. We're not talking about everyone get into one little neighborhood. But we're to be together and stir up among us encouragement, gifts, love, all these things. We're supposed to have a hymn, a song, a prophecy for our brethren. You don't have to do this from the platform. I, I'm, I'm really sorry that so many people feel that the platform is where you have to do this. So you gotta, you got to let me prophesy for the platform. No, we don't. Minister to one another. Be faithful there. And if you can be faithful there, then maybe. But don't come in and think you're going to get the microphone right away. I have so many people try to do this. I have so many prophetic people in my house that I could never do it. Okay? It's like I think about like big churches, how they would even facilitate that. But here's the thing. You don't always have to meet on Sunday morning. Learn how to invite people over your house. Learn how to you know do Bible studies. There's so many people only function in that Sunday morning mindset. And so what me and Kathy would do is invite people out of our home. And we did this. We were so we were busy back then, but we weren't as uh, busy and exhausted as sometimes we are today, you know. Um, but we would I would have people in my house and and um I would just when I led someone to the Lord, if they're hungry for more, I'd invite them to my home and just teach them the scriptures. And by the way, I'm talking, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years, not now. Like now, now you go, well, of course you could teach. But I wasn't even ordained yet. I, I didn't wait to be ordained to start doing the kingdom. I just taught them what I knew. I figured, look, if anything, we'll learn together. You know, that was my attitude. We'll just learn together. Um, so it's really important that we assemble. It says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because it says this in Ephesians. 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners. To what? The household or the kingdom of God. You're no longer outside. You're, he says, but fellow citizens with the saints, those that have been born again, and members of the household of God. Now we have a house, household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's where the apostles and prophets are. They're not the head. They're on the floor. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, when you're going to build, especially in ancient days, when you're going to build, making sure that first stone is level, square, plumb, 
All these things determined the way the whole building would be constructed because everything was going to go off that cornerstone. They would spend, you know, maybe days surveying that cornerstone in its place to make sure that that cornerstone was perfect. And if they did that, everything else was fine. It's the same thing when we build you know, a house today, we're laying a foundation. You have to get a plumb, you have to get some reference point that you're going to build off of. Okay, and it might be an architectural maps. It's got to be this far from the property, this from, and they will survey, they'll actually have surveyors come out and they'll mark where that corner is to be. And then they have to mark it off of that because it's got to follow the code. You know, there are people who have like built stuff and they actually built it too close to property lines. And then you have to get variances for that. So it's like really, really important that this, this happens, okay, that we do this. And so it says, and so you have to understand this, why Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is. Remember we said that he is the Messiah. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good person. Those people say Jesus is a good person or Jesus was a prophet. It's not good enough. By the way, you cannot say, I believe in God, reject Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. If you reject that portion of him, it's not good enough to believe in God. Because no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. That's it. All right? Really important to understand. In whom the whole building, the whole what building? whole household of God, all the saints, being fitted together, rose into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now look, there's those people who go, I don't need to be in church. Um, I can just, I'm a Christian. I read my Bible. I don't go to church anywhere. Not biblical. Not biblical at all. Not biblical at all. <clears throat> okay? I, I, I've had ministers who've wanted to come to my church, but they didn't belong to a church. They go, well, I don't really believe in belonging to a church. I go, well, then I'm not allowing you to preach at my church. They go, why not? I said, because you have no value for what I'm doing in your own life. You don't see the value in church. So why would I give you the equity I have built up with people that I've labored my life for, that I have laid down my life for? Why would I allow you to come in and speak to them when you have no, no um, uh, godly revelation or godly understanding of the importance of the church? Look at those kind of people come in, and the only reason they're in there is to, to steal people, to get people to follow them. It's the only reason why they're there. Only reason why they're there is they're going to try to get people to follow them. This is dangerous, okay? So I don't let them in. If they don't have a value for the local church, why would I let them in my church? Because they'll say stuff like, you don't need to be in church. Most likely they've been hurt. And by the way, it doesn't mean there aren't valid grievances. Doesn't mean that, okay? Does not mean that, all right? Because I'm not saying that 
The church is perfect. Remember, I told you in the beginning, I thought the church was perfect. Then I found that it wasn't. Then I found out I was the church, and that's why it wasn't perfect. But it's really important to understand that, that you're part of the church. Now, some people, that scares them, you know, because being a part of a church also means accountability. You know, I once had this person say they wanted me to be their spiritual father. I said, fantastic. We talked, we met, talked for about three hours. And one of the things I said, look, me being your spiritual father means you're going to be accountable to me. I'm going to ask you questions about your life and about things. I, I want you to be honest with me. Okay. Never saw the person again. And four months later, this person decided to go into homosexual, a lesbian relationship and walked away from God. She realized, I don't want that accountability because I'm struggling with stuff. And instead of being honest, like I'm really struggling with my identity and who I am, she fled. And she left the church. And you might go, oh no, but Jesus loves her. Stop it. Jesus loves her, but he loves the church. It's going to sound really difficult. He loves the church more than he loves the individual. You know that can't be. No, it is. It is. That's why there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because he doesn't let everyone in. We have to understand that that when we do harm to the church, we do harm to multitudes. It would be like this. Let me give you an explanation. Uh, a guy is a rapist, but I go, Jesus loves him, and I don't want to put him in jail. I'm a judge. I don't want to put him in jail. I really love him. I want to show him the love of God. And so I'm just not, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not even going to sentence him. I'm going to let him, uh, I'm not going to give him any jail time. I'm just going to let him go. Now you might think that's going to turn that person. It might, you might get it one out of a hundred where the guy goes, oh my God, the mercy is amazing. But you know what you'd most likely get? At least 99 rapists to go out and go, I get, I get, I get to keep raping people. And what I've actually done is by having so much unsanctified mercy on the individual, I've actually made the others a victim of my poor decision-making. I've now let a murderer, a rapist, whatever, go throughout the church and pilfer them. I had an instance at my church one time where some ladies came up to me. I had a new member of my church. had been there for a couple months. Didn't see any problem with them. Actually, let me take this back. When he came to the church, ladies came up to me and said, hey, look, we know this guy. He's married now, but he actually is kind of a financial con artist with single women. I said, okay. I said, look, I don't know if he's changed. So let's see if he's changed over time. But if you see anything that I need to be alerted of, please tell me. And they said, absolutely. Because I was willing to see if he had changed, see if he's repented. All right. Now, about six months later, he's up in the worship team now. He's playing bongos. It was really good. We actually enjoyed him. But I get alerted that one of our home groups, he was telling people about a business opportunity, you know, a opportunity. And he actually stated that me and my assistant leader, and as the church representatives, have endorsed this business opportunity. We haven't even heard of it. Well... The ladies came up to me and said, hey, he said that you guys, he said that you endorsed this business opportunity. I said, no, I haven't endorsed anything. I don't even know what you're talking about. So 
I asked him, and there was not just one, this was by two or three witnesses that said that he came up to him and told him this. So I asked him to come to the church. I said, we'll just call him Bob. That's not his name. I said, Bob, I said, it's been brought to our attention that um, you, have, you have a business opportunity. He goes, yes. I said, that's fantastic. I said, but could you do me a favor? He said, why? I said, could you please not say that we've endorsed it or use our name in any way? or the church's name, because we have not endorsed it, we haven't even seen it, and we don't endorse business opportunities. And he said, he looked at me and he goes, well, I don't agree with that. I said, well, it's not something I'm asking you to agree with. I'm asking you to not use our name. We didn't give you permission to use our name to endorse your business opportunity, and I'm asking you not to do that. And he said to me, um, no. And he got up and he literally wagged his finger in my face. I said, okay. He said, I don't agree with that. I'll do what I want. I said, okay, fantastic. I said, hey, is your bongo still on the platform over there? He goes, yeah. I said, come here. We walked over into the sanctuary and locked the door. I said, those are your bongos, right? He said, yeah. I said, good, get them out of here. And he, he said, what do you mean? I said, get your bongos out. You're out of the church. You're out of my church. I don't want you at my church anymore. Now, you might go, Lou, that was harsh. No, it wasn't. This guy had swindled some single woman out of her house. He had gotten her to quick deed it, and she lost her house. Not in our church. They happened before. Like the, the magnitude of what he had done was devastating to this one individual. Now, what I couldn't do was risk the 20 single women I had on there or that were going to eventually come to the church. And all. I couldn't risk that. I asked a simple thing. Keep doing your business. Just don't use my name. I had to protect the church. The church was more important than the individual. Let me give you another example. I was during a conference at our church, and one of the gentlemen, he's 45 years old, comes in and he goes, I believe that uh, God has told me who I'm supposed to marry. God told me. God told me who she is. And um, I said, well, who is it? He said, well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say. Now I know this is trouble. When someone says that, I'd be like, okay, she's married. Or I said, who is it? And finally he tells me, and it turns out, it's the 18-year-old daughter of my assistant leader who had a boyfriend. And I go, that is not going to be your wife. And he goes, oh, no, the Lord showed me. I said, no, the Lord did not show me. And I said, look, We'll talk about this later. I bring in my assistant leader and his daughter. Well, I bring him in. First, I bring in the assistant leader. I tell him, I said, and he's like, he wants to kill him. I said, will you let me handle it? He goes, yes, uh, I'll let you. Handle. Okay. I call his daughter and I said, has he, has he notified you of this? Or just, you know, he shows up at the youth meetings at houses. He's 45. He shows up at the youth meetings. And he's asked me to, he plays the guitar. He's asked me to play the piano with him. He says he thinks we can make great music together. And and he won't back off from me and my boyfriend. And he just kind of is always kind of cornering me. I said, okay. And I sat there. And I, I and and I, I she left. I sat there and prayed. And I tried to come up with different ways to protect her. And all these different ways was limiting her access. In other words, um, you know, she always had to be on a lookout. And, you know, of course, I made, you know, one of my rules was you can't show up at 
the youth meetings and stuff like that. But I said, you know what? If he won't even acknowledge that she doesn't want to marry him, that this is a dangerous situation. So I finally called in my office. I said, look, I have come up. I said, do you understand that she's not interested? But God showed me. He's still abnormal. I said, but you have actually approached her and she's told you to back off. Yeah, but she doesn't really mean it. I said, okay, well, here's the deal. I said, I'm going to have to ask you to leave our church. And he goes, why? I said, because you don't know boundaries. And when you're putting one of my members at risk for sexual assault, rape, whatever it could be, right? I have to protect the church and her over protecting you. However, I would love to have, I will be willing and love for you to come by once a week and meet with me so we can maybe process this and find wholeness in this. He didn't want anything to do with that. He was mad at me. I, I, I said, you know, what do you do? you got a guy who, by the way, is borderline sexual predator. So I called my spiritual father, Randy, at the time. And I said, Thomas, he goes, oh, my God. I said, what? He said his brother did the same exact thing. It was like 40-something years old, did the same exact thing down in Tampa area at his church. Thought this 18-year-old girl was going to be. I, I said, wow, this, is, this has got perversion in the family and something happened. You know what I mean? And so my point being is that what if I sat there and said, hey, we're going to love them through it. How would that work? Well, the problem is he's a danger for somebody. And loving him through it meant she would be a danger. Having mercy on him would have no mercy on her, would actually be a punishment to her. And that's where you have to understand that Jesus would def will defend the body and he expects the leaders to defend the body versus protecting the individual. Now, those accusations have to be really, really substantiated. And I don't want to say this, but well, when I went, Todd was bogus. Todd Bentley was bogus. Because, by the way, some of those people involved in accusations were the ones who were actually doing some of the stuff. And I know it. I've, I, by the way, I, they were informed. The leaders of the of the witch hunt were informed. I had letters. They were informed. They ignored it. They ignored it. And so it was just a it was just an opportunity to try to take out Todd. Now Todd had his issues. They're gone, hopefully forever. I can't make any guarantees. That's like saying I'll never fall. That's pride. I would never make I would never make this statement. I will never fall. That's pride. It's just pride. Making such declaration is not wise. Making declaration of, Lord, please, by your grace, sustain me, hold me up, don't ever let me fall. That's a good prayer. But making a declaration, I'll never fall in my pride. That's like stupid statements. When we want guarantees for other men's actions, I can't ever guarantee another man's actions. That's just ridiculous. All right. But my attitude in the Todd thing was, if there is sexual misconduct... And I find and I see it, I'll deal with it. Simple as that. Simple as that. I don't play that game. I have a daughter. I, I tell my kids, you don't know the amount of protection, how we watched over you. How we watched over you. So intently. You know, my friend, my, my sons had friends all on the street. 
two of them, this is just on my street, two of them, three of them became drug addicts. One of them committed suicide. One of them went to prison. One of them, um, another one, another one, just outside of those three. Another one uh, got pregnant in high school. Another one, and, and, and how we protected our kids. And maybe we were strict. I always ask my kids, was I really strict? Because I don't think I was, but we were protective. We could see things, you know. And um, we were protective of them because, and look, here's my attitude. I'm protective that way of every kid in my church. I'm protective of them. I don't want to see any of them hurt, harmed, whatever. You know what I mean? So that's the job of leaders. We're supposed to, you know, not allow the wolves into our house. You know what I mean? And that could be sexual predators. That could be financial fraudsters. And that could be ministers who are corrupt too. Okay, you have to have to do this. All right. So that that that's the body. All right. And then and the Bible says this, <clears throat> Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to doctrine which you learn and avoid them. Now, this is a very interesting one because I want you to understand this. Most churches today are gathered around doctrine. Now even when they're gathered around fathers, they're still gathered around doctrine. You know, you're you're not going to follow a spiritual father who you completely disagree with. You're just not going to do that. You know what I mean? It, it, that makes no sense, right? You're not going to follow someone you completely disagree with. But what you hold in, in a church that's denomination, doctrine, is you don't allow for new revelation to come into the body because doctrine's the most important thing. But the most important thing in the kingdom is, is covenant relationship. And in covenant relationship, you allow for new ideas to come in. So think about this. Um, what split the Protestant church from the Catholic church? Scripture, faith in Christ. That you didn't need to belong to the Catholic church to be saved. What if... Martin Luther and all the reformists of the time don't think differently than the status quo. Okay, but they were scripturally sound. And then, you know, you have the Lutherans, but the Lutherans don't necessarily, maybe they didn't get the revelation of baptisms. And they didn't get the revelation of water baptism. The Baptist did, the Baptist left. And then you had the sanctification. And then you had, then you had Azusa Street. You know who was present at Azusa Street? Baptist and Methodist and and they all became known as Pentecostals. And then the latter rain movement came and the Pentecostals didn't like it. And with every revelation, there's a pulling out of the church to follow, to, to adapt to a new revelation. And, and it creates a little bit of division. God sometimes creates division, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who actually just sow discord amongst the brethren, start starting fights, everything. But let's just say that someone comes to me and they go, I have this revelation. We talk about it because I'm like, man, I might be. I don't always get the prophetic word for the house. I have other, I, I've trained up others. The church doesn't shift that much, to be honest with you. 
Like we don't get a new revelation every month in the church and we're all trying to chase it. Um, so but that doesn't happen. But, but there are those who cause division, who are just disruptive to the body. What are you going to do? Well, you might have to ask that person to leave for the sake of the body. I had to, I had to do this. Look, let me call, talk about causing divisions. I had this one person, loved her and her family to death, but she literally was critical of everybody. And one by one, she would be critical of people. This is over like, this is over seven years. And finally, after seven years, I said, you just need to go somewhere else. And she said, why? I said, because you're so critical that even when the spirit's falling, you're critical because it falls on someone else and you're mad. And that ruin that's and then and it starts ruining the atmosphere that we're in. And then you're complaining. You you don't keep it to yourself, you talk to other people about it. I said, it's enough's enough. Enough's enough. Causing division. Enough's enough. It's just gotta stop. So you gotta remember that the the church is a living organism. It's a if it is it is the people of God, one spirit. And I want to just give one more scripture that Paul exhorts, and maybe just one more. Philippians <clears throat> chapter 2 says this, Therefore, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Boy, mark that. Philippians 2, 1 through 2, 4. That should be the spirit of the local church. That should be the spirit you have in your local church. Amen? Amen. I hope that you understand the importance. If you don't belong to church, find a church. Find a church. It's not a cult. Don't sell your soul. Find a church. Okay? And grow. And, and, and maybe I'll talk again about how God gave me revelation 20 years ago that the church I was in did not receive or did not move in, but I was getting the revelation. Stuff that we just readily speak today. And that I didn't try to change my church. It wasn't my job. I wanted it to be, but it wasn't. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your church, your wife. Like Revelation says, we saw the wife of God, the church coming down. The heavenly Jerusalem. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your church. I thank you that she is destined for greatness. I thank you she is full of saints who are on fire for you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, folks, going to Lakeland, going to, I go to Lakeland, then uh, I come home, I go back, and then I go to Boston. And from Boston, I go to Italy. And then from Italy, uh, I come home, and I have a, a couple weekends home, and I go to Memphis. So we got four wonderful events coming up. Uh, if you want to help support our ministry, go to lewisdcana.com. 
click on donate and you can give one time you can become a partner and do all those things i also have prepare the way uh priesthood just starts tonight as a matter of fact when you watch this video it's starting tonight so if you see this video which will be out at 6 p.m on tuesday the 28th you can go to my website and sign up for it okay and i'll put a code down in a link in the bottom with a code that you could get this at a discount okay i love you i will talk to you later you have a fantastic fantastic day god bless you and goodbye